Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast, The Endurance of Labor Laws. I'm your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan, and today is episode 68, and I wanted to take a step back and cover something that we have not discussed in detail. So, what I want to do was do an entire episode dedicated towards the Environmental Protection Agency, also known as EPA. because when i was researching it i learned so much about the epa that i personally did not know so i thought well if it's stuff that i don't know there might be others out there that you know we think we know what all the epa does and its foundings and its beginnings but there were so many things that i did not that i did not know about excuse me that i think other people should know about because i think it explains this federal agency a lot better when you know the background the history where they were at in the beginning and then where they're going and it kind of describes a little bit when you read between the lines of why they've gotten off track a little bit and why we have so many problems now environmentally speaking but again we can always correct these things we can always be positive and move forward and do a really good job here but first of all let me give a big shout out to my lovely listeners because you guys are awesome So a big shout out to Florida, Massachusetts, Oregon, Alabama, British Columbia, New York, Pennsylvania, Oklahoma, Texas, our lovely neighbor, Virginia, and in terms of countries, we have the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom. So hey, UK and Canada, you guys are awesome. Love you very much. So, oh, and I want to do a little bit of housekeeping. So I wanted to do, let me go to my list here. I want to let you know Uh, let's see is it going to be New Jersey or Delaware? I want to go over um the Superfund sites that have already been cleaned up. And I'm not saying like since the last time we spoke, but I wanted to go over the ones that I did not get a chance to cover in detail because I was just going through the ones that are currently active. I did not go through the list of ones that have already been taken care of. So let's go ahead and take a look at the state of California, the ones that they have cleaned up. And mind you, California has a lot because it's a large state. It has um a lot of companies, it has a lot of people, so its population is higher. Um their gross domestic product is higher. So you have to look at it in terms of okay, if a state is larger and they do more in business, then more than likely they are going to have just by happenstance I guess you could say or just the way things happen they're going to have a higher likelihood of having super fun sites but they're also going to have more that have already been cleaned up so that's really good in terms of that so let's go ahead and take a look at these for the state of California and if we've already covered these in a previous podcast which I don't think we have but they look familiar um just FYI slight repeat but then again I don't think we've covered all of these so I just want to make sure I cover all my bases here because I do believe in giving credit where credit is due so California has already done a lot of work in terms of cleaning up their superfund sites they still have a bump a bumper crop more to go but that's okay I do believe they can get it done so the first one that has already been cleaned up is the Louisiana Pacific Corporation superfund site that one was located in the county of Butte It was cleaned up and good to go. Let me double check my date here. It was cleaned up and good to go November 21st, 1996. The next one is Western Pacific Railroad Company. That one was located in the county of Butte. It was cleaned up and good to go as of August 29th, 2001. The next one is Liquid Gold Oil Corporation. That one was located in Contra Costa County. It was cleaned up and good to go as of September 11th, 1996. 
The next one is Del Norte Pesticide Storage. That one was located in Del Norte County. That one was cleaned up and good to go as of September 18th, 2002. The next one is Colingo or Colinga, excuse me, Asbestos Mine. That one was located in the county of Fresno. That one was cleaned up and good to go as of April 24th, 1998. The next one is TH Agriculture and Nutrition Company. That one was located in the county of Fresno. It was cleaned up and good to go as of August 21st, 2006. The next one is Kelter Chemical Works. That one was located in the county of Humboldt. Let's see. It says here it was cleaned up and good to go as of September 30th, 2003. The next one uh, was San Fernando Valley Area 3. That one was located in the county of Los Angeles. It was cleaned up and good to go as of October 12th, 2004. The next one, let's see here, is Firestone Tire and Rubber Company Salinas Plant. That one was located in the county of Monterey. <clears throat> Excuse me, my my voice. Let's see. That one was good to go, cleaned up and good to go as of April twenty first, two thousand five. The next one is Ralph Gray Trucking Company. That one was cleaned up and good to go. Um, let's see. As of September twenty eighth, two thousand four. That one was located in Orange County. The next one is Jib Boom Junkyard. That one was located in the county of Sacramento, California. It was cleaned up and good to go as of September 10th, 1991. Let's see here. The next one is Southern California Edison Company. That one was located in the county of Tulare. That one was cleaned up and good to go as of 2009. So that is good. So congratulations California. You have cleaned up quite a bit. You still have a whole lot more to go, but the good thing about the ones that you've already cleaned up, you know what works and you know what doesn't work. So if anything, that gives you a really good knowledge base, a really good beginning to uh, helping your state to clean up the other ones, which is really awesome. I love to see good work. So now let's switch over to the Environmental Protection Agency. Let me go to that lovely screen. Let's see here. Okay, so the EPA. Let's see. This was founded or formed December second, nineteen seventy, and let's see here. It's headquartered in Washington D.C. Um, let's see. I think as of two thousand eighteen, it has fourteen thousand two hundred ninety-seven employees. Their budget as of twenty twenty, it's an annual budget, is a little over nine billion dollars. And yes, that is billion with a B. So. is an overinflated super large budget and that is a problem because that is so much money for so few employees to I just don't understand why they have such a large budget when they don't really have a whole lot of people working for them so they have this inflated budget but they're not getting a lot done and I say that you know respectfully but here's the thing we still have 40,000 super fund sites in the United States but yet the EPA is using a 9 billion dollar budget and that's an annual budget meaning every year and it's almost always going up it's hardly ever going down but let's go ahead and dive into this just a little bit more it says the environmental protection agency also known as the EPA is an independent executive agency of the United States federal government tasked with environmental protection matters President Richard Nixon, who was a Republican, proposed the establishment of EPA on July 9th, 1970. It began operation December 2nd, 1970, after Nixon signed an executive order. So for those that say that Republicans don't care, I got proof for you right here that we do. And Republican presidents, they do care about the environment, big time. The order establishing the EPA was ratified by committee hearings in the House and the Senate. So we have bipartisanship there. The House and the Senate both agree that we do need this. 
It's to hear the agency is led by its administrator who is appointed by the president, so they're not elected. They are appointed. And they are also approved by the Senate. The current administrator is Michael S. Reagan or Reagan. The EPA is not a cabinet department, but the administrator is normally given cabinet rank. I don't necessarily agree with giving someone cabinet rank, but there might be a reason as to why it is like that. Let me see here. Da, 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 da. It says here the cabinet of the United States is a body consisting of the vice president of the United States and the heads of the executive branches departments in the federal government of the United States. Okay, it is the principal official advisory body to the president of the United States. So, these people are appointed um but it's not how I word this. I understand why we have these, but the thing that concerns me, it kind of goes back to what President George Bush did, the second one when he created all these czars. which were not Russia or not the Soviet Union we should have never had czars but what I, what is not good about when you just appoint all these people it's like the american people we don't really know what's going on because we've got these people in very high positions of power that are supposed to be doing good and more than likely they mostly are but unfortunately whenever you get this many people into a position of power um you have a lot of misappropriation of funds you have a lot of overinflated um annual budgets they spend too much money and they do not get a lot done typically which is what we're seeing here with the EPA is the is the EPA good yes is it an important federal agency yes but you know 9 billion dollars for an annual budget that's crazy and we still have 40,000 superfund sites a little over 1300 a little over 1300 of them are considered critical meaning they need to be cleaned up immediately as soon as possible because they are contaminating our planet Uh, specifically in the United States that's a concern. So my thing is is if you are operating on a 9 billion dollar budget I need to see more evidence that you're actually doing your job. And that's not just from an administrative point of view, it's it's from hey, what are your employees doing? They need to get stuff done, but also they need to have the tools and the right policies and procedures in place so that, so that way they can do their job and do it well. That's that's my thing. Cuz if I had to guess, and I'm just guessing here, It looks like you've got a whole lot of work that is being dumped on a little over 14,000 employees. Well, you have 40,000 Superfund sites. So you don't even have one employee per Superfund site. So that's why we've got these problems and then they've got this huge budget. So they're definitely getting a lot of federal tax dollars, which you and I are fitting the bill for this, but they're not doing a lot of good. So it is definitely overinflated there. The EPA has its headquarters in Washington D.C., regional offices for each of the agency's 10 regions and 27 laboratories. The agency conducts environmental assessment, research and education. It has the responsibility of maintaining and enforcing national standards under a variety of environmental laws and in a consultation with state, tribal and local governments. It delegates some permitting, monitoring and enforcement responsibility to US states. and the federally recognized tribes some of those tribes are called the five civilized tribes and some of those tribes are here in Oklahoma they do have their own land some of them still have their own indian reservations and um they also have their own type of government on their land which you kind of need to be careful about we've talked about this in times past because here's the thing like a lot of them have casinos but here's the thing you know if you just want a bunch of money in one of their in one of their casinos and you're walking out to your car you could be jumped by somebody and it's you know you, you call 911 or you're trying to get help 
the regular police department does not come out and help does not come out and help you it's the tribal police and more than likely they will not help you that's actually been a scandal that's been going on a long time um because they they don't operate in a completely legal and ethical moral because it's very tribal thinking that's just how it is there is a lot of corruption within tribal families and within these uh, casinos um they have a lot of problems but no one calls them out on it because they they went through so much in terms of their history and how the federal government and the federal army treated them and relocated them here but here's the thing just because someone's ancestors suffered in the past that doesn't give current and future generations to break the law whether it's state federal or tribal and also we should have never given them the opportunity to have tribal law because they are in the United States so you have a you basically have a country within a country well there's a reason why that doesn't work out very well so basically if you or i you know were to step foot on their property regardless of whether you're native american or not they technically do not have to follow state or federal laws because they basically have been given permission to not really care and to not do the right thing that's why there are so many crimes especially to deal with money And there's also a lot of murders that take place on these Indian reservations. Like there are so many crimes that take place on Indian reservations and on these tribal lands because there's so much corruption. Like people like to think the Indians are peaceful people. They're not always peaceful. Do we have some really nice, kind tribes? Yes. But there is so much fraud and the crimes that they have they're they're not investigated properly because they're not the state or federal police. they're tribal police. So they're not even really educated in terms of how to properly handle a case. And so they also have misappropriation of funds because they technically the person that's in charge of the tribe is still a chief. And it's only been within the past, I don't know, a couple decades, I'm guessing that now they have female chiefs. For the longest time, it was always a man that was a chief. So you're dealing with tribal regulations but they're not even really regular how to word this they're not even really regulations because you know if they're still operating as like a tribe you have to remember that all indian tribes they were initially pagan because they worshiped multiple gods so if we have in how to word this if we have people that are worshiping multiple gods and they're being given permission to just make up their own laws however and whenever they want then how can you or I expect them to operate the same way that we operate in terms of our laws in regards to state and federal rules laws and regulations so i imagine that the epa probably finds it very difficult to work with these tribes because they don't even really know how to rule or govern their people and believe me they do rule and govern them and i'll give an example i worked at a car dealership several years ago I was a internet sales manager and uh there was one um customer I was helping and um he he wanted to trade in his vehicle and buy another one well in order to trade it in for us to purchase his vehicle and to do a trade we needed the car title well he was native american and he brought his kids with him and he had no clue that he did not actually own his vehicle because we looked at the title And we said, "Sir, you know, are are you the chief or a top dog or whatever in terms of this tribe?" And he said, "No." And so he kind of told us that, you know, he's just one of the the people within his tribe. And we said, "Well, you technically don't own this vehicle. Your tribe owns this vehicle." 
and he had no clue so we couldn't do a trade in and then because we couldn't do a trade in we couldn't sell him a vehicle because without the trade in he couldn't afford to purchase a new car but my point is this he was living he he, he was part of a tribe and he was living i guess at an indian reservation but he had no clue that he didn't actually own his house or his vehicle because what happens in these tribes is the tribes they own everything but they convince and they lied they lied to their people and tell them that oh we're going to give you this car but they don't tell them that the person doesn't actually own it the tribe owns everything they're just letting them use the car and that they're just letting them live in these houses or apartments or whatever they own so this guy i mean you could just kind of see the light bulb come on in his head that he had no idea that his tribe never really gave him the car the tribe still owned it and here's another thing the tribe doesn't want them to um have ownership of anything it's almost like communism as well it's like it's where the government whatever government you have whatever governing entity you are under and that you put over you and you allow them to govern over you They basically do not allow private property to take place. They don't allow you to purchase vehicles, they don't allow you to purchase homes, they don't allow you to take out loans. They have everything that belongs to the tribe. Well, the the communist party does that still to this day. That happens in China all the time. And also it happened in the USSR all the time. That's how the that's how the Soviet Union could control and manipulate citizens. It's because it says, "Hey, we'll take care of you. Just give us all your property, all your land, your bank accounts, everything, but we will give you a job and we will give you a vehicle, but guess what? Their people didn't own hardly anything unless you were super rich." Well, the light bulb was slowly coming on in this guy's head, and he basically walked out of the car dealership. He just kind of walked out like a broken man because he had no idea that, you know, Yes, he is native american, he's part of a tribe, but his tribe was stealing from him. And it was unlawful. However, even though it's unlawful state and federal wise, if those transactions are taking place on tribal lands, for some stupid reason the federal government has allowed them to do that. So just FYI, I can only imagine what EPA has to deal with when it comes to these federally recognized tribes because these tribes they're not all good and kind people especially not the higher ups. They're just as corrupt as the higher ups in any communist party because that's how they operate. And mind you, I didn't know that about the about the Indian tribes in Oklahoma. And I'm born and raised here. Like I didn't know that until I worked at a car dealership and I was trying to help this guy get a car, you know, we're we're doing everything legally, ethically and professionally and you're trying to work out, "Hey, how come this guy Oh, here's another thing. It's like he didn't even really exist in terms of credit." He's like, "Yes, I have a social security number. Yes, I have a driver's license, but you know, I'm part of this tribe." Well, what these tribes tell their people is, "Well, because you're part of our tribe, everything should be free." So they basically get them on horrible, crappy government assistance. which would be those free really disease infested indian clinics and it's free for the indians technically but you and i are paying for it but here's the thing if if um if the indians are working a regular job technically they're paying for those clinics as well but they don't realize it because they're fed this continuous lie that it's free and it's and it's not it's paid for by their tax dollars when they are working a job 
And it's also paid by our tax dollars. But just FYI, that's a little bit of a background to that. Mind you, hardly anybody really knows about that unless you come across it. And in my case, it was by accident. But needless to say, we, we could not do business with this guy because he didn't actually own the vehicle. Like, we, we, we can't legally and lawfully take in a trade-in um, from someone whose name is not actually on the title. Because we have to get that notarized. And we can't do that if he doesn't actually own the vehicle. So it, it's kind of like if you steal a car and you're trying to trade it in. If you're not the lawful and legal owner of that property, you can't legally and lawfully sell it. So anyway, this guy walked out. Um, it was really sad. He just, I don't know how to describe it. He just came in one way and walked out a broken man because he didn't know that his tribe was stealing from him and lying to him. So needless to say, I, I don't know what happened to him. I pray for him. Um, but that's just kind of what happens in situations like that. But anyway, um, I don't want to get sidetracked on that. But just FYI, things like that do happen. But however, the federal government, I'm not, they're not wholeheartedly to blame for that, but they allowed it. They tolerated that. Because they allowed, they allowed a group of people to form their own government, and it's a corrupt And um, it, it's just a corrupt way to treat people, and it's not right. I don't know how else to describe it, but there it is. So it says here, the EPA enforcement powers include fines, sanctions, and other measures. The agency also works with industries and all levels of government in a wide variety of voluntary pollution prevention programs and energy conservation efforts. In 2018, the agency had 14,297 employees. I would imagine that number has grown because... That means that data is four years old. More than half of EPA's employees are engineers, scientists, and environmental protection specialists. Other employees include legal, public affairs, financial, and information technologists, basically IT people. Many public health and environmental groups advocate for the agency and believe that it is creating a better world, which technically it is. Other critics believe that the agency commits government overreach by adding unnecessary regulations on businesses and property owners. That's also true as well. So here's the thing. The EPA was founded on good and wonderful intentions, but it's gotten off track, $9 billion dollars worth off track. And the way they've gotten off track is they have been going after businesses and property owners unlawfully and illegally, confiscating their property and their land, and also basically stealing their money in, in a legal way. Technically, it's unethical. But one of the, I guess, one of the things that is, kind of tricky with uh, whenever they create these Superfund amendment and they start naming these Superfund sites. Part of the EPA's way of cleaning up these sites, which I don't agree with how they're doing this or why they set up like this, but one of the ways that they amended that Superfund law or amendment was that it gives the EPA permission to go after businesses in a very aggressive manner on the... Um, emotional appeal that, oh, these people need to pay, that kind of thing. Um, if you remember in one of my previous podcasts, I talked about this lady that I met from another country. Uh, she was from Europe. And uh, I'm not going to say which country she's from, but um, you know, I was telling her about my, the research I've been doing on Superfund sites and the EPA, and her immediate response was, oh, we need more laws that have stronger teeth to go after these companies because they're just bad. And I'm like, that's not true. 
If anything, the EPA already has too many laws and regulations that go after people. It, and here's the thing. It goes after the people that currently own that land, but also it goes after people retroactively. So this is why people don't want to help clean up stuff is because they, they are frightened of the EPA because the EPA is a federal agency, almost like the IRS. They've been given way too much power and they just go after people and they break them. It's like they break their legs and their arms financially. They bankrupt them. So this is why people are scared when they own a business and, you know, there's a leak or a spill and it's like what do we do? It, you know, if we report this, we get shamed and blamed and the federal government could literally cripple us, literally. And then if anyone, if another company tries to help us, they get shamed and blamed as well and they could go bankrupt for trying to help us that that's the thing that's what people are concerned about because it is legitimate so unfortunately with this we do need to have super fund laws on the books and we already have them but i do think we need to take some of the teeth away from it because it should encourage people to clean things up not punish them and also not retroactively punish them that's not how you you encourage people to do the right thing if people are scared to help what makes you think they're going to volunteer their services their time their money their efforts they're going to avoid it altogether so i think that's one reason why we have so many super fun sites is the EPA has gotten too big and too powerful and it's not being accommodating it's not being kind it's just putting all these sanctions on people and you know confiscating their property and then bankrupting people and businesses now if that's not cruel for a federal agency to do that i don't know what is you know and it, plus there's another thing unless someone has millions or billions of dollars in their bank account they're not going to be able to afford the best and the brightest attorneys to help them fight the federal government You know, because you know, there's a saying we have here in Oklahoma. Sometimes you can't fight city hall, and what that means is, is that sometimes whoever you have put in power has gotten so powerful that they're no longer protecting you; they're going after you. That's what that phrase means, and we've had to deal with some of that here in Oklahoma. I pray that you have not ever had to go up against city hall situations, but we have had to do that here, even in small towns. So again, corruption is not just in Wall Street. If anything, it's minimal there compared to other places. And some of the worst corruption it was is within our federal agencies. Almost every single one of our federal agencies started out for a good reason and for a common cause. And and those things are great. But what is not good is when it gets too powerful, too big, and they just start viewing the the American people, which is you and me, as their personal piggy bank. they get greedy. That's where some of the worst type of greed is is when someone is in an office for the federal government or the state government. They're basically working in the public sector, meaning they are supposed to be helping the public, but instead they start punishing the public because they want their money, they want their land, they want their assets, they want their private property, they want it all. Well, that's greed. But unfortunately, These federal agencies sometimes they get away with it because they get too big and too powerful that it makes it very difficult to go after them. See, 
this is why it's so important that we have three branches of government because if one branch of government gets out of whack, the other branches of our government in the United States can call them out on. It's called checks and balances. It was very smart the way our country was founded and set up because it it tries to prevent tyranny at all cost. And the way you do that is you have common sense legislation meaning it makes sense. It's not overinflated, it's not ridiculous, it's not complicated, but what we will see later on in time with this podcast when we start going over the different um uh, the different rules, laws and regulations, we will see that over time they keep getting amended and changed and reworded and then whenever it gets amended or reworded or changed it gets more and more murky it gets more and more complicated an example of this are our tax laws in the united states they used to be simple and you know what they should be simple it should be easy but guess what whenever the federal government gets involved it tends to mess things up but here's the thing it's very difficult sometimes to call these federal agencies out on this because the moment you start calling them out that's when they start targeting you and that's what the EPA and the IRS and some of these other federal agencies have been doing but that's especially what the EPA has been doing when it has been targeting private landowners like just regular everyday people like you and me that own property and if the EPA wants that property i mean all they have to do is take a soil sample and say oh you have arsenic in there well guess what Arsenic could be in your soil but may not be at a toxic level. Cuz there there are some things that occur naturally in nature. I mean that that's just how it is, but if there's a toxic level that was caused by a spill then yeah, we do need to take care of that. But there are some things that just naturally occur in nature. But if you have a tyrannical agency that just likes to shame and blame and legally steal property in an unlawful, unethical manner, then they can use anything and everything under the sun to target you and to take and confiscate your property. Well, guess what? That's thievery. That's thievery, and usually we put thieves in jail. But unfortunately, when you have federal agencies, they get away with thievery all the time. Now, that may sound really harsh, but it is a truth, and here's the thing, if we're if we're going to say it like it is, we need to call a spade a spade here. That's just how we need to look at things because if we don't call it like we see it then guess what then we also become part of the problem by not acknowledging what's actually going on because if we don't acknowledge what's actually going on then how are we ever going to repair it or fix it or make things better like even though I don't like every little thing that the EPA does they still do a lot of good but they need to do even more good like just look at it this way if they were not targeting people they would actually have more time and money and better management in targeting toxic substances that are happening in our environment and just get those things cleaned up like instead of shaming and blaming people help people with situations don't be quick to just cast them away you know people are people people are the best assets in any country because people matter they just do so You know, if a federal agency is not respecting the citizens, if it's not respecting the people, then guess what? It's going to be very difficult to get hardly anything done and to get it done quickly and efficiently and ethically and morally because they're not valuing people. You know, if we are going to value the environment the way that 
we should look at the environment is okay how can you and i live the best kind of life basically what can i do for myself and what can i do for my neighbor that's going to make this world a better place well if i look at it from a humanitarian point of view if i look at it from a humanity point of view then i'm going to look at it as well i want to make sure that our environment is not polluted so that way we can live here for a long time and for future generations so if i look at it from a human point of view from a humanity point of view then everything else will fall into place because if i basically want to treat my neighbor as myself and love my neighbor as myself kind of thing then everything will fall into place because i'm already going to be doing the right thing not only for myself but for my neighbor and if i care about those things then i will naturally think well hey If I don't think it's okay to have chemicals on my property, then you know I'm going to help my neighbor not have chemicals on their property. That you know that's kind of how we should be looking at things. But you know whenever you put more power and money into a federal agency, they're not going to look at it from a humanity point of view. They're going to look at it from an agenda point of view, and agendas tend to be cold and heartless. So I think we need to get back to hey. How does this actually affect people? Because people are more important than the environment. Because guess what? If we don't have people, then guess what? We can't clean up the environment. But if we don't have an environment, then people are, people will have nothing to be sustained on. But if we put people first in terms of this, then we then we will look at as, hey, what do people actually need to survive? We need food, water, and shelter. and we need to get rid of toxic substances like this that have leaked out into our planet. So instead of, you know, just focusing on the whales in the ocean, well the ocean is yes, it's important for whales, but it's even more important for human beings. So we kind of have to look at it in a full circle kind of way, but but we need to put things into perspective. That's why I look at it from a humanity point of view. because also when we look at it from a humanity point of view that we're not like oh why well, I, I care about the whales oh I care about the zebras you know I care about these lizards and stuff I mean like here's the thing if you're focusing and if you're focusing in on something in a agenda type way or a cause type way oh this is my cause you should donate to me no this is my cause you should donate to me that's just pulling us apart it's causing division But if you if you look at it from a humanity point of view, you know, what can I do for my neighbor? Because whatever I do for my neighbor is what I do for myself, then guess what? We will already be naturally moving in the direction of making the environment a better place. Because both you and I need and desire a wonderful environment, a wonderful world, you know, to have nature be beautiful again. You know, not that it's not all beautiful, but we do need to help it out kind of thing. Anyway, um going on to some of the background in regards to the EPA. It says beginning in the late 1950s and through the 1960s, Congress reacted, excuse me, <coughs> to increasing public concern about the impact that human activity could have on the environment. That is a legitimate cause, but that doesn't mean that people are always the problem. Cuz I want to mention this, I don't think it's appropriate to shame and blame people for so-called carbon footprint kind of things. because what i've noticed is that whenever people start talking about oh we need to you know work on not having so many carbon footprints well people are using that as an avenue to promote abortion to get rid of people and here's the thing if you are willing to get rid of babies then you're you're actually okay with getting rid of 
people as well because babies are people. So if you're not going to protect what's in the womb, then how can you and I expect to be protected as people that live outside the womb and we are the adults of this planet? Like just because you and I uh, were born, that doesn't mean it gives us permission to prevent other people from being born. That that's my concern with that. Is there human activity on the planet? Yes, it's been like that since the beginning of time. You know, we are in charge of this planet, human beings. But just because we are in charge and we're supposed to be good stewards of the planet, that doesn't give us permission to get rid of other people, especially the unborn and especially infants. Some of that stuff is just disturbing because that's eugenics. You know, if it wasn't okay for the Nazis to participate and to authorize eugenics, then it's not okay for us to act like that. It's it's just not okay because it's being anti-human. That's why it's better to look at things from a humanity point of view because if you value human life, then you're actually going to do what's right. And let me let me put it this way. You're going to value other people more than just some agenda or some cause. But if if you take out the humanness in something, then you make it cold and heartless. We need to put the warmth and the love back into things. And I don't mean like hippy dippy love like from the 60s. I'm not talking about that. I mean just basic goodness and kindness. Because if you believe in that, then you're not going to believe that it's okay to get rid of people. That's the thing. But if you're looking at it from a um non-humanitarian point of view, then you're going to lecture people about carbon footprints, you're going to be okay with abortion, you're going to be okay with adult euthanasia. Basically things that the Nazi party did and wanted to continue to do. And we know this to be true that they were pretty bad people, especially their scientists and their doctors that were part of the Nazi party and all the things that they wanted to do. It was really cruel and disgusting. So I think that if we if we don't want to resemble them, then we should not be acting like them. Even just the medical research and just how we view other people in everyday life. So we need to look at as all human life has value. Not just one group or a couple groups or this continent or this country, all human life matters. From the moment of conception till natural death. And I say natural death because that means someone not killing you. Okay? So just FYI. So it goes on to say Senator James E. Murray introduced a bill, the Re- Resources and Conservation Act, also known as RCA of 1959. The bill would have established a Council on Environmental Quality in the Executive Office of the President, declared a national environmental policy, and required the preparation of an annual environmental report. I think that's wonderful to do that because so much can happen in a year if you think about. Like, you know, you could have a Chernobyl happen or something. Well, there's a lot of stuff that can go on with that as we will see later on. And let me get a drink of water. Hold on just one moment. Okay. So it goes on to say the 1962 publication of Silent Spring by Rachel Carson alerted the public about the detrimental effects on the environment of the uh, indiscriminate use of pesticides. Now, I have read Silent Spring by Rachel Carson. Um it was probably really good at the time it was published but to me it's written like a lifetime movie network and it's not really it doesn't list a whole lot of data or research but also they didn't probably have all that data analysis back in the early 1960s 
and it probably was not readily available to the public. However, um, it, it was a good springboard. It was a good stepping stone towards making people aware of what's been going on. And what I did like about her book was that um, she really brought to mind about how pesticides are being used in just kind of haphazard way, and I totally agree with that. Um, so that's the good part about that. And I will say this. I did purchase her book on Amazon.com, and what I love about Amazon is that when you purchase one book or one genre within there, it recommends these other books. So even though I wasn't a huge fan of Silent Spring, it recommended these other books that were great. Loved them in terms of, of uh, environmental conservation and just being aware of things. Because I did not study um, environmental sciences in college. So I really kind of have to, I had to self-teach myself a lot of things. So one of the books that Amazon recommended was called Toxic Drift. Excellent book. That book to me was way better than Silent Spring. And what I loved about was it talked about how if you're going to spray a pesticide on your property, you have to be careful what you're spraying because it could literally drift over into other people's property. And we have that problem here in Oklahoma because we have a lot of farmers that just don't pay attention to what they're spraying on their acreages. And we have a lot of wind here. We have, actually have high-velocity winds. So what can happen and what has happened is some of these farmers who are not always very bright – They spray these chemicals that are commercial or industrial grade, okay, which they should not be using, especially not on this kind of scale. Um, they spray it on their property, but then it drifts over onto other people's lands, and it kills their livestock and also contaminates their neighbor's crops. Well, guess what? We're eating that stuff. And also, it kills a lot of natural wildlife. So there are birds. There's rabbits, there's snakes, there's deer. I mean, anything that occurs naturally in the wild, they just wind up dead on people's properties. So a lot, a lot of times people don't know why they have this, all these carcasses on their property because they don't know what their neighbors are spraying. So it's very important to be aware of that. So I'm glad that information like that is out there and that people are studying it because whenever you are living near or you have been raised in a town that's more of like a farming community, I think they need to be more educated about stuff. Because you can't just go out there and just spray whatever you want. Because here's another thing. These farmers, they, they don't even take into consideration what they are exposing themselves and their families to. Some of these chemicals are so toxic and so hazardous that it can cause cancer and cause it at a very rapid rate. Meaning you could be dead within like 20 or 30 years as opposed to living to be like 80 or 90 years old. So if you're spraying chemicals on your property and you're in your 20s, guess what? You could easily develop cancer by the time you're 40 or 50. And basically you cut your life in half just by stupidly, and I say that respectfully, but stupidly and ignorantly exposing yourself to chemicals that you should have never been exposing yourself to. So you just be aware of that. So there are some really good books out there. Silent Spring, not my favorite, but again... It was written back when um, there was not a lot of data available to the public because, again, we did not have the Internet. Things like this were not being published to the general public, which was a problem. So needless to say, that's why the public, there was a public outcry in the 50s and 60s because 
There were people that were noticing that, hey, our water supply is not right or something's wrong with our land. Something's wrong with our crops. And then they find out, hey, there are some people or these companies or the U.S. Army or the U.S. military is just dumping these products on, on property and into our streams. You know, this is a problem. So this is one of the reasons why the EPA was created was because of the public outcry. You know, when when the public became aware of this stuff that was going on basically behind their backs and in their backyards and within their towns, some cities, but in towns, you know, they had no choice but to cry out about it and to say, hey, this is a problem. And plus, these were both Republicans and Democrats crying out about this because this was a national issue. This was not a party issue. This was a national issue, meaning it affected everybody. So that's why we have to look at this from a humanity point of view, meaning if it affects me, it, it also affects you and vice versa. So if it affects my children, it could very well affect your children because we're all in this together. So that's kind of one of those things like we need to look at it from a kind of a, a full circle point of view, not just, oh, my piece of the pie is more important than your piece of the pie. No. The entire pie is important, all of it, and we need to care about all of it. That may sound like, oh, well, that's a lot to care about. True, but if you look at it from a, hey, I care about my fellow man, woman, child, if you look at it from that way, then you're actually bringing everybody together in community. And when you bring people together in community, then guess what? You, you bring a lot of talent to the table And you actually get more done by making more people aware of the situation. And then you can draw ideas from each other. And then you can help to resolve the issue a lot quicker as opposed to if you never talked about it. That kind of thing. So it goes on to say in the years following, similar bills were introduced and hearings were held to discuss the state of the environment and Congress's potential responses. Now, also, I do think there should have been more responses at a state level. Because there are a lot of things that should happen at the state level, so it doesn't always necessarily need to involve the federal government. Because when you get the federal government involved, they tend to get a little too powerful too quick, which is what has happened with EPA. They have a good foundation, you know, good intentions in the beginning, but they're kind of out of control right now. In 1968, a joint House-Senate meeting was convened by the chairman of the Senate Committee on Interior and Insular Affairs, Senator Henry M. Jackson and the House Committee on Science and Astronaut, Astronautics, sorry, a different word, Representative George P. Miller to discuss the need for and means of implementing a national environmental policy. It says some members of Congress expressed a continuing concern over federal agency actions affecting the environment. The National Environmental Policy Act of 1969 was modeled on the 1959 RCA Act. President Nixon signed NEPA, which is the National Environmental Policy Act, into law on January 1, 1970. The law created the Council on Environmental Quality, also known as CEQ, in the executive office of the president. NEPA required that a detailed statement of environmental impacts be prepared for all major federal actions significantly affecting the environment. Now, let's see here. Talks about a little bit of the establishment of the EPA. So it says on July 9, 1970, Nixon proposed an executive reorganization that consolidated many environmental responsibilities of the federal government under one agency, a new environmental protection agency. 
So it says here this proposal included merging pollution control programs from a number of departments such as the combination of pesticide programs from the United States Department of Agriculture and the United States Department of the Interior. After conducting hearings during that summer, the House and Senate approved the proposal. Let's see here talks about who took office for that. Uh William Ruckelhouse was appointed and took the office to be the first administrator of EPA. It says here EPA's primary uh, predecessor was the former Environmental Health Divisions of the US Public Health Service, also known as PHS, and its creation caused one of a series of reorganizations of PHS that occurred during 1966 to 1973. It says here from PHS The EPA absorbed the entire National Air Pollution Control Administration as well as the Environmental Control Administration's Bureau of Solid Waste Management, Bureau of Water Hygiene and part of its Bureau of the Radiological Health. It's here. It also absorbed the Federal Water Quality Administration, which had previously been transferred from PHS to the Department of the Interior in 1966. Let's see. A few functions from other agencies were also incorporated into the EPA. The formerly independent Federal Radiation Council was merged into it. Pesticides programs were transferred from the the Department of the Interior, Food and Drug Administration and Agriculture Research Service, and some functions were transferred from the Council on Environmental Quality and Atomic Energy Commission. So I learned a lot about that cuz I didn't know There was a council on environmental quality and I did not know about Atomic Energy Commission. I know they had those things, but that's really interesting to know. Okay. Let's see here. It says upon its creation, the EPA inherited 84 sites across 26 states, of which 42 sites were laboratories. The EPA consolidated these laboratories into 22 sites. What I think is a mistake with that is I think they should keep open many many laboratories because they're just starting to figure out that they have a lot of problems. So if you think about it, let's say we only have one lab per state. That means we're going to have 50 states or sorry, 50 labs. But let's say I would think we would need two labs per state. So that's 100 labs, but the EPA I think they made a mistake by consolidating these laboratories because they brought it down to 22. So that's one of those things that the EPA is learning about what to do and what not to do on that. Um but I will go ahead and close out this podcast and we will finish up um the EPA in the next podcast because I see that it's almost a little over 50 minutes on this one. So I want to save my voice and also I don't want this to drag out too long. Um so but anyway until next time I pray that you're happy, healthy and whole and that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
fragile sphere Hang on every word Yet no one hears us speak So it's only left to ask It's changed to quite a task From the smallest depths Waves transform the earth Still hold